Sometimes studying the Bible can feel overwhelming and confusing. Grounded in Truth with Janet Dennison will help you learn to study, understand, and apply God's Word to your daily life. His Word is true. And guess what? It's for everyone. So thanks for joining us today as we dive into Scripture together. the Grounded in Truth Summer Series with me, Janet Dennison. We are continuing our eight-week series on personal prayer, which is volume one of a three-volume series titled Studies on Prayer. We will be releasing the other two volumes in the first half of 2023. This first series is devoted to our personal prayers. Why did God teach us to pray? The answer is simple. God taught us to pray because God is our Father, and He enjoys talking to His children. So what makes it so difficult to talk to our Father, and how can we develop a prayer life that draws us nearer to God? These lessons are designed to guide your personal prayers and help them become the conversations the Lord wants to have with you each day, so He can guide and prosper your journey of life. Let's dig into this week's lesson and explore what God wants to teach us about prayer. Welcome to Lesson 5 of our prayer series. I titled this, Praying to Surrender Our Plans to God's Will. We live in a culture that so teaches us to make plans for the future. In fact, it's really difficult to live in our world today unless we make plans for that. So how do we live in today's culture and honor this idea of God uh, leading us, guiding us daily? That's what I wanted us to talk about because the wisdom to understand the culture for today is from prayer. It's from living in that daily moment-to-moment conversation with God. I like to use Henry Blackaby's phrase when he said, when you made Jesus Lord, you gave him permission or the right to interrupt your life whenever he chooses. That has been one of my favorite life lessons in my work and ministry for the Lord, because we make our plans, but we hold them loosely. God, as our Lord and King, has permission to alter our plans and our lives to adjust to His. So our best choices can sound like the right things, but they don't guarantee that the choices of others will line up. Our life is a series of choices that have our consequences, but often our plans are changed by the choices of others. How then do we learn to submit all of our plans for God to either use, change, or sometimes redeem to his own? I took today's lesson from the book of Job which seems maybe an odd choice on my part, and yet I think it holds the passage that most describes what I want us to learn today. The book of Job is the oldest text in all of Scripture. 
the most ancient words that we have. It dates back to the monarchical day, probably the second millennium, and the patriarchal era and even before Abraham. His story is sometimes difficult to read and understand and put in context with some of our other scripture because it didn't begin as a written document. Job did not write the letter that bears his name. Instead, Job was an oral tradition story that was passed down from generation to generation. I'm not going to go into great detail as to whether Job was an actual person. I believe he was. But I also believe that his story was used to educate and to help people understand who God is and how he works in the world. And Job needed to stay faithful even when life let him down. So while it's difficult to translate, it also addresses what I think is one of the most difficult aspects of theology, if not the most difficult. In theology, the word is called theodicy. It is the reconciling the goodness and love of God with the evil that he allows into our lives. It's always been the hardest issue to wrestle with, and it probably always will be. So who was Job? In verse 1 of Job, it says Job was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job was a good and godly man. The things that happened in his life were not because of his sin. Instead, they were because of what God allowed. And that's the first and really most difficult place to step to in order to understand the book of Job and understand theodicy. Why does God allow evil? And sometimes why does God allow evil to prosper? The second thing we know about Job was that he possessed a lot of family and a lot of livestock. To his audience, the early Hebrew people, both of those things meant that Job had a life God had blessed, blessed with children, blessed with wealth and security. Job was prosperous spiritually and in his life. So here we have someone that we might pick out as the least likely to suffer horrible consequences in his life. And yet he did. In chapter 1, verse 5, Job is described as a person who rose early in the morning and offered burnt offerings to God. He began his day prioritizing God's position in his life, making his life righteous or right with God. He was a faithful man, and he worked to make his life line up with God's will. Job 1, 6 through 12 records a conversation between God 
and Satan. And here's where the book of Job takes a turn that theologians have tried to figure out from the beginning of theology. Here's what I want us to look at. I'm not going to debate is this allegory? Is it fact? Is it an actual event? Here's what I know about this passage. There is one of the most important lessons in scripture contained in this interaction. And so let's look at it that way. Job chapter 1 verses 6 to 12 describes a conversation between God and Satan where Satan thinks the reason Job has been able to remain faithful is because God has put a hedge around him. In other words, Satan is telling God the only reason Job is faithful is because he has such a great life. I love the lesson in there because one of the reasons God allows us to have trials in our life or one of the reason our plans do not sometimes come to fruition is because God interrupts them with a larger purpose. God allows the hardships of our lives to help us become a strong witness to others when those hard times shake our faith, but don't cause us to fall from it. One of the most important witnesses you and I can have is to walk with God through our hard times or through times we don't understand. God tells Satan, behold, all that he has, speaking of Job, all that Job has is in your hand. That's what God tells Satan. And he says, only against him do not stretch out your hand. In other words, God tells Satan, the rest of his life is open for your attack but you can't touch him. That seems hard for us to understand, especially in light of so many of the other promises of Scripture. And I will say that this time in Scripture is unique, but from it, we get a really important lesson, especially to those of us who live under the new covenant. God says, in essence, you are prince of that world, but you don't get to touch those who belong to me. You can't touch Job. I would pause here to move it into the New Testament and tell you that we live in a fallen world and the things of this world will touch our lives in the same way they touch anyone's. We all know Christians who've been diagnosed with cancer. We all know People have been treated unfairly. We've all been a person that at some point has been treated unfairly. And God allowed that into our lives. He's sovereign. He allows this world to be fallen until he will one day step into this world and nothing will be fallen again. But we have today the same protection that God gave Job way back in ancient times. God looks at Satan and says, you can't touch him. 
And so today I would say that to you. We pray through our lives for a relationship with the God who has looked at Satan and said, you can't touch him or her because that person is my child. That person has been set free through the sacrifice of my son when they place their faith in his sacrifice. How important is it to be a Christian? How does being a Christian strengthen our prayer life? Because whatever else comes into our life or goes on, we know that we are ultimately protected. And that, to me, is the place we go to, the stone we go to, to kneel on in prayer when we can't understand the circumstances. God allows Satan to take Job's property and even Job's children. And even then, verse one, chapter 1, verse 22, it says Job did not sin. The rest of this book of Job is about the speeches of friends and family who try to explain to Job what is not explainable, who try to figure out why Job is suffering as he is. Some even blame Job for his sufferings. And so Job prays to the Lord and he asks for the ability he has to understand. He asks for the Lord to vindicate him in the eyes of other people. Chapters 38 through 42 record the conversation, the prayer conversation between God and Job. Job comes to God with very real thoughts, very real emotions, very real words of disappointment, very real words that explain Lord, you love me. I don't understand why all this has happened. And at the end of that conversation, Job comes to the place where he understands who God is, even in the worst of times. Really, the point of that conversation is this. Sometimes we go to God and pray for the ability to understand what he has allowed into our lives or the ability to understand what is happening. And that is not always the prayer we should be praying. Sometimes we pray for the ability to understand, but always we should pray for the ability to accept what we cannot understand. The ability to know God and his mercy, even when we don't understand that that's what God is doing. One of the great blessings I've learned in my years of ministry and faith is that there are moments when God gives us understanding. There are other moments when God strengthens our faith so that we know God and who he is, and we're willing to accept what he's allowed into our lives. Job's faith is restored by what 
God does in answer to his prayers. Job, at the end of his conversation with God, says to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job is once again standing on the rock of who he knows his God to be. He says, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have offered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. At the end of Job's conversation with God, he offers all of his hurt, all of his confusion, all of his disappointment, all of those things he could not understand. He offers them to the Lord, who he knows does understand and is able to make all things, as Romans 8.28 says, work together for the good for those who love God and are called to his purpose. That is who our God is. When we cannot understand, we can trust. When we cannot get rid of feelings of disappointment, we can lay them at his feet because we know who he is. And so Job continues to talk to God saying, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. At the end of Job's conversation, he says, I know you hear me, so I will speak to you. I know I can question you, and I know that you will make my answers known to me. Before, Job says, before I struggled, before I went through everything that I've gone through, I had heard of you with my ears. But he says to God now, as a result of everything I've been through, I see you now. I know you like I never knew you before. And therefore I know. Job uses the words that translate I despise myself. What that means is I understand now how limited I am compared to who you are. And so I repent of all of those things that I thought and said that were born of pain and confusion, that were born of doubting who I know you to be. And he says, I repent of all of that. That's chapter 42, verses 4 through 6. Really good passage to go to and, and meditate on. Because usually at the end of our hardest moments with God comes a new understanding in our lives of who he is. I love the beatitude that says, blessed are the purified. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they see God. Job has allowed the hardest times of his life 
to purify his relationship with God. And you can see him now. James was writing to early Christians in the first century. They were Jewish people who had been born and raised in Jerusalem and who'd stuck it out for a long time after the persecution of Christians began, but eventually were forced to flee. And James's letter to them uh, has so much wisdom about standing firm. James wrote about that when he said in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, he told his church, consider it pure joy, pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why does God allow these hard times in our life? Because we learn to persevere. We learn to be strong in our faith in God and in our walk with God. And the next time a trial comes, quite likely you'll be quicker to run to that rock of belief in the goodness and greatness and perfection of God. God's faithful redemption is that first moment we need to run to. He is perfect and he's not capable of anything less than perfection, even when it feels like that. God rebukes Job's friends because they've not spoken what is right. That's in verse 7. The friends are instructed to reconcile with Job, and God accepted Job's prayer of forgiveness for them. Next, God restored Job's life. The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. That's verse 10. And Job was restored not only to his friends, but to his extended family who had blamed him for his hardships. And verse 12 says, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Job died an old man and full of days. So why do Job's prayers teach us to submit our will and our plans and our idea of what's right and should happen or shouldn't happen? Why do we submit all of those things to the perfection of God? Why do we especially submit the things we can't understand? Because the great lesson of Job from the oldest scripture we have teaches us that we are going to feel like Job sometimes. And the point is to persevere and come out on the other side with a greater knowledge and wisdom of who God is. James 5.11 says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That's what James told those early Christians who were 
really persecuted and, like Job, lost almost everything. James reminded them of Job in their hardest of times and said, God will bring you through it. Sometimes God restores our possessions on earth. If not, he preserves our hardships, what we've learned, our blessings from our trials as treasure in heaven. Either way, we are rewarded for our perseverance. The Odyssey will always be one of the hardest areas of theology. It's difficult to reconcile the love of God with the suffering that we see in this world. But our answers come when we submit our need to understand to the need to accept what we know. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That's Matthew 16, 24. Jesus told us that to be his disciple would mean picking up a cross and following. Jesus did not have an easy life. We probably should not define blessing as anything other than a life that is spent following Jesus, a life that is rewarded for our perseverance and faith, whatever those rewards look like. Those are our blessings. So we submit to God understanding who he is because we understand him through Christ. Thomas Akempis was a German theologian, and I love his quote and think on this today. Thomas Akempis said, carry the cross patiently and with perfect submission. And in the end, it shall carry you. It's a great summation of what we learn from the book of Job. We're called to carry the cross of Christ, carry it patiently, carry it faithfully, knowing that it is that cross that will one day be the reason Jesus carries you to heaven. I hope that knowledge will bless your plans today and give God permission to interrupt any of them. He wants to. See you next time. We hope you're enjoying volume one of our study on prayer. Because you're here, you obviously understand the value of prayer. But aren't there times in life when it seems difficult to know what to pray? With that in mind, our team over at First 15 has created guided prayers to help you connect with God each day. If you're feeling stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, or if you just aren't quite sure what you want to pray, we encourage you to download the free First 15 app in your app store and search Guided Prayers. We hope these meditations will help you spend some time in the presence of God and renew your soul for the rest of your day.